everybody and welcome back to your favorite podcast about new metal this is the pod cast this is episode number 37 it is our three-year anniversary and of course we could not celebrate our anniversary without doing an iconic band this month we're covering corns second album life is peachy i'm john and with me is a man who is a titty sucking two bald bitch it's brian quimby <laughs> that is me well, there's a lot of stuff in that song that you're just kind of oh. like, what the fuck? I, I mean, you know, obviously we talk about that later. This is exciting. I feel like so fired up right now. I, I Yeah. I, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to get a fucking good review because, fuck, this could be one of the most important albums of my entire life. Like that have come out ever in my whole fucking life. So very excited. Very excited to talk. I'm excited about too. It. I'm also excited for the person who has never listened to this show before and doesn't understand that I introduce you with a lyric from the album and just thinks that that's how I start every episode by calling you. I love some sucking titties. I've said it before. I know. I've said and it. I and you have two balls <laughs> and you're a bitch. So it all yeah. makes perfect sense. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love to suck on a titty. It's a fucking good time. It's a good time. I mean, you know, there's fu- more fun things to do, but, you know, titty. It's are pretty good. Like a top level thing, though. It's They're one yeah. of the, like, I definitely, they're one of the top gimmicks. <laughs> the top gimmicks. <laughs> you got some great gimmicks there, lady. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's how I imagine you hitting on a, a woman. Um, I, I remember it's actually funny now that I don't know why I'd never thought about this before, because you have talked about this on the show before. And then obviously, you know, you talked about it on Street Fight in your Heat O'Brien phase about how you love sucking titties. And um, it just reminded me, I can remember there was a guy in high school, uh, one of my first uh, like or sorry, one of the first of my friends who was sort of sexually active. He was like dating a another girl in our high school class. And I remember him saying, because I think a few guys were sort of like, oh, you know, like, how is it like is sex good? You know, that kind of thing that you ask. Like, it's not when you get older, you ask specifically like, oh, was sex with that person good? But when you haven't had sex before, you're just like, hey. This sex thing, is it as good as everybody's talking about? Because I have none. And I remember him saying that he was like, yeah, it's definitely like good, but sucking titties is the best. (laughs) And I don't know why that just like twigged in my memory, but I guess that was you in high school too, Brian. He was you. Yeah, but I I remember him saying that. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, he was oh, he was really I mean, out in the I, forefront of it. Because I think he was saying, because I, I want to say, sorry, I, I want to say that I think that girl that he was dating was actually the second girl he had slept with. And she was fuck. more and she was more amenable to the idea of having her titties sucked, I guess. So I gotta tell you, so, so he was excited he, about that. He sounds like your Aaron. My buddy Aaron was just he was going at 12. He got a beach at 12 and it blew my fucking mind that it happened. And then 
I'll tell you what, and this is why it took me so much longer. Um, well, 16 years old, but you know what I mean? It took me like longer than all my friends was because he got his bean sucked. And, uh, she was like, she went around the, when, when they stopped dating or whatever, she went around and said he didn't have any hair on his balls. And I was like, and I thought you had to have like a lot of hair on your balls. <laughs> So I was just like, I don't think I'm ready yet, man. I don't think I'm fucking ready yet. Happy so three-year anniversary of the POD cast. <laughs> this is, if you've never listened to the show before, this is most of it. This is mostly what it is. You think it's a podcast about new metal, but it's really more about a, it's a more a podcast about growing up in a lot a of ways. But also it, it is just really funny. Like the idea of, and, and I, I just, so, uh, I don't know how to really talk about this, but like, I feel like not having hair on your balls is fairly normal at 12. I don't know. Like, I don't remember my own, I don't remember my own, you know, puberty, but I would guess that that's not abnormal. And then also like, was the girl with another guy that had hair on his balls? And so then she was like, you know, when she was 12, she, I don't know. That just seems like a wildly confusing situation. (laughs) One, I'm not super sure. But that thing dogged him until he was like 17, 18 years old, man. Like six years of us just like any time, like me and him had a like kind of antagonistic relationship. We were friends most of the time. But man, the amount of times we fucking threw punches at each other because I said, you don't have no hair on your balls like that. I would just say that. That's why I've told everybody the story about how we used to reach in our pants and pull a hair out and show everybody and then throw it at people. You throw it at each other. You know, we we're throwing our pubes at each other all the time. And that was that was also why I carried deodorant with me to in the ninth grade. So I could just pull it out and put it in my pit so everybody could see I had a hair on my armpits. I was obsessed with having hair at places, which is why the fact that I'm like a really not hairy guy, like under my shirt, I have like this little stupid tuft of hair and I hate it, but I don't want to shave it. I want like the Let's whole see. thing. Oh my God. Okay. I'm I know you don't like taking guy. your shirt off, but oh yeah, it is. Yeah. That is just like literally tough. a tiny, <laughs> that was actually less hair than I was expecting. <laughs> I actually I like like when you said it was a tiny tuft, I was still picturing like a pretty visible like, but no, you're right. That is how I would describe it. A tiny tuft. <laughs> it's embarrassing looking. My wife's like, yeah. I don't like want you to be super hairy. And I'm like, yeah, but yeah, I do know you want a little more, you know, <laughs> just a fucking touch more. Not a ton, you know, yeah. not like George the Animal Steel. No, like maybe yeah, you something, want, yeah. you know, in the middle of George the Animal Steel and a s- fucking uh, professional swimmer, right. I guess. It's like this something is, that's in about, between that's that. That's probably where I am. I've got like this nice little sort of patch here. Oh, yeah, you get it goes across. Yeah, you know what I'm across. saying? Yeah. yeah, this show <laughs> is about new metal and showing each other their hairies. <laughs> I'm not going to show what? you my you know fucking what? nuts and stuff. I d- Okay, well, I don't need that, but um, there's hair. You know, there. Trust I'm, me. <laughs> my Katie will back me up. She'll tell you there's <laughs> there's hair on there. She never went around saying I had no hair. Um, I uh, 
I, you know what fucking weirded me out though? One of the like weird things for me about growing up is I have the exact same, like exact same chest hair pattern as my dad, which was like, that was like a real, but it didn't like fully come in until I was probably like, I don't know, in my twenties. So it was like, once it all kind of fully grew in, it was like, it is exactly the same where I was like, that is, it kind of fucked me up a bit. It's like the same amount, the same kind of area. Cause I've got a little more on my like tummy as well. And it's like exactly yeah. the same. It's so fucking weird. I was just like, that Man, is weird. Genetics are weird, dude. I yeah, that screwed me up I a little wanna, bit when I was, when I was that age. I'll tell you what, one of these days, one of these days I will get a picture of my dad and uh, nobody would believe what he looks like. It just would be it's the impossible same with me. for people to believe it. It's the same with me. I'm six feet tall and I have hair and my dad is five foot five and bald. So yeah, no, anyone like I weigh 75 pounds more than my dad. Like no <laughs> one, no one. Well, Dan, you've seen my dad. Like we do not look related. No, not at all. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's I mean, me. I, but we are related because we have the same chest hair. <laughs> yeah, true. That's genetics. Me and that my dad uh, are are. I don't. I don't know that there could be two more opposite people. Like John, you would probably get down with having my dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, he's he's into computers, which I don't know if you're into computers. That I like that you kind of you said on the show before you. that you like don't like your dad. So I like that you're like, <laughs> oh, John, you and my dad would get along great. You'd fucking love I this guy. I see him twice a year, but you'd love him. I I don't think you'd love him because he's a massive asshole, but he is like. He he wants everybody to like know that he's from Canada, even though he's not even really from Canada. You know what I mean? It's a oh really yeah. You weird said before thing. he like loves Canada more than fucking me. So like, you think just, that like he would love me too? Because like if he met me, he'd just be like, "Holy shit, you're from Canada." So we would already have that going for us. He would be fucking nuts for you. He would be, and you like hockey. I oh, love would he yeah. love to talk about hockey with you all day and all night. And also how you guys spell words that we spell differently, which is right. That's another thing. He that's used a British to get, like, thing, though. That's not really a Canada thing. Like it is a Canada gray. thing, but it's because it, of Britain. It was a gray thing. My dad was obsessed. Oh. He would always tell people. He was like, well, I'm from Canada and we spell it G-R-E-Y. Yeah, and right. he would always like if he was helping me with my homework, he'd be like, oh, no, it's G-R-E-Y. And now I'm like, no, it's not. It has an A. God damn it. I you will say the wrongest shit in the world. I'm not a spelling guy. Like, I don't care. I'm not one of those people who is like, I have to spell it the British way or the Canadian way, whatever. But there's two things about me that are true when it comes to Canadian things. The first thing is I'm like an unapologetic Z person. I will never say Z. I hate Z. I'm just, I'm Z all the way. That's my number one. And then my number two is I think the way that we spell theater and center and stuff is just way classier. And I don't know. There's, I have no rationale for that. But for some reason, spelling theater R-E instead of E-R, to me, it's just like, yep, that's the way it's supposed to be spelled. That's classy. That's that's a nice, does, I'm going out to the theater. You it know, does look more fancy. America, my, the theater. That's something like my dad would like about you. 
a lot. <laughs> yeah, I told you the story about... I just have to say about... that exact thing, and he would be like, oh my god, this guy's amazing. I told you about how, like, you know, growing up, I, I really wanted to fucking go to New York. Like, it was... I. It's an obsession with me to go to New York City. I mean, I wanted to live there for a period of time. And um, back when I was you know, younger, I was just like, you know, I'd like to take a trip to somewhere that's not number one. They go to the same three places their whole life. And I just said, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to see New York or Chicago. And this motherfucker is like, ah, you don't need to see those places. Go to Toronto. It's like the clean version. And I'm like, I don't want the clean version. Like, I want the dirty version. I'm not trying to go to the clean place. And I want to go to Toronto. But, like, for fuck's sake, dude. It's yeah, it's not really a New selling York. point. It's not really, yeah, it's not really a selling point. It's like New York, yeah. but without all the cool stuff. But it's cleaner. Yeah. But it's cleaner. So that makes it way and better. I mean, don't get me wrong. You Toronto has lots cleaner. of cool stuff. But, like, you, yeah, Toronto you know is it's not, not cleaner, though. Well, I think it's cleaner than New York, probably. I've probably, York, but, but you know. But like, yes, Chicago. compared to other Canadian cities, like most Canadian major cities are very clean. Um, and compared comparatively, Toronto is not. Like Canadians, like, because I live in Vancouver, obviously, and there's definitely like a big little brother syndrome here uh, when it comes to Toronto. But that is like something that people will complain about who are from here. Like they feel that Toronto's at like a dirty city. Yeah. Um, which Toronto is not a dirty city, but in comparison to other Canadian cities, sure. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, and in comparison to a, which a mid-size American city, you know, yeah. it's yeah. going to be dirty. Like Columbus probably is cleaner than Toronto. You yeah. Know, oh, because... yeah. Toronto has 6 million people. You can't, yeah. have, it can't be completely clean. And yeah, the downtown and area is, is like thing... 2 million, I think 2.5. So yeah, of course it's going to be dirty. And it's the thing where it's like, <laughs> I like this city the best. And uh, no, I've never been to the, my dad went to Chicago for the first time, like last year <laughs> and it's six hours away, you know? And, uh, you know, they've never been to New York. They ain't ever fucking going to go because they're afraid of it. I guess I don't really know what the deal is. There's every parent in my life, my dad, my, uh, my stepmom, my uh, uh, father-in-law, and my mother-in-law couldn't be more terrified of New York. Could not even like with, like it's a fucking volcano. It's like an active <laughs> volcano. If I go there, I'll so die. Scared. I will die hey, for sure. You need to make sure you're inside when it gets dark outside when you're in New York because you will get mugged. It's like, dude, New York's safer than. New York is safe as fuck. There's like 7,000 million police. I was going to say 7,000 police. 7,000 million. <laughs> there's 7,000 police down there. It's like, yeah. no, there's like more of them. Well, than more that, than, yeah, that's not enough. That's not enough police. <laughs> there are so many police there. There's like 100 police there. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what any police department's numbers are. You know? Oh, me neither. I would have no concept of that. It feels like yeah. it, it's it's the same with my school district because I teach in the second largest school district in Canada. And like when I hear how many teachers there are in my district, I'm just like, that's not possible. That's way too many. But then 
I realized like, oh, my district has like 130 schools in it. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, of course there's 20,000 teachers or whatever. But it's just like that number, when you hear it, you're like, there's no way there's 20, because you just go to one school every day. You don't think about like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, you know. But I'm also really bad at math, so that's part of it. Yeah, uh, me too. And it's like, you know, when I tell people how many people were in my graduating class, I used to think it was just like a regular ass number, you know, like, right. uh, but it was like almost 400 students that graduated at my school. Yeah. And that's like a lot for, <laughs> that's like a lot for, for sort of, uh, uh, you know, 35 kids in each class sort of thing that yeah, I, that I went totally. to. Yeah. And, mine, was, uh, mine was 400 too, actually. I think like right Yeah, my there. daughter's is like less than 60 oh wow yeah that's super small it's very small they they really the school district lines here they really you know so back in the day uh a lot of italians moved into this neighborhood uh -huh. so the people that originally lived here drew the district line so italians wouldn't go to the school <laughs> Jesus. The I was wondering Italians. where that was going to go. Like that sentence, <laughs> the sentence wasn't starting good. I was here like back in the day, a bunch of Italians moved. Here. And I was just like, Italians. yeah, I, know. I was just like, I was like, oh boy, I hope, I hope this is going to the, a good destination. Cause right now, Brian feels like he's about to steer this off a cliff. Uh, well, Brian, before it's, I know you have tons, sorry, go ahead. You got one more thing you want to say? I guess I'd say it's very funny to think of like, Fucking the people in City Hall sitting down there and drawing school district lines on a map and be like, yeah, that's an Italian. That's an Italian. Like cutting all the Italians. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally reason, like around funny. a house, like on, on yeah. one block, like three of the houses are at one school and then the other 10 are at a different school. Dude, the house right next to the high school is not in the district. <laughs> I swear insane. to you, they take a bus like <laughs> 10 miles away to go to school because the house <laughs> next door is not in the district houses across the street, not in the district houses, two houses, the other way in the district. It's that's, just, it's a jagged wild. line that to get around these damn Italians. It's so weird. It's so weird to think about. That's uh, incredible. Uh, protect okay. yourself though you got to protect yourself yeah absolutely i <laughs> i mean that's for sure um okay well before we get into the album i want to get started on the album early because i know you've got lots to say about it but it is the three-year anniversary of this show brian uh do you have any any words about the three-year anniversary of this show because it feels crazy to me that this lasted three years becca and i were just talking about it uh, earlier she was like yeah i sort of figured when you suggested doing that show with brian to me that you'd do it for like five episodes and then you would decide that it sucked or people would tell you it sucked and you would just be like okay it's over uh but here we are episode 37 we got a, a great patreon obviously a great listener base um you know do, i mean you don't feel like a very sentimental guy but i'm putting you on the spot anyway three years of the show how do you feel about it you know what i think is the wildest thing about three years of the show there has only been one perfect album the whole time we've been doing this show to me remember because if it's perfect i call it a brian's perfecto yeah and there's only one and that's yeah. science, science by incubus, by incubus. Yeah. yeah 
There's not a single other one. Every one of them had something for me to complain about. Now, yep. even the one we're doing tonight can't be a perfecto. I, I love it, but yeah, it just there's it there's, just can't be. You cannot a have a song. Problems. You can't have a song on the album that talks about Kentucky Fried Kung Pao clits and say it's a Brian's perfecto. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's but not you just even can't. the one. That's not oh, the one that keeps it off the list, though. Oh, man, that is, the one that, that keeps it off the list is interestingly enough a cover that keeps it off the list lower and yeah. um yeah yeah i just I, I just feel like that's a a profound waste of time <laughs> it like doesn't live up to what no. it sh- it doesn't live up to what it's promising i guess no, no and it, uh, it, uh, uh well and it also comes two songs after another cover which i've never really uh, a good one a i've good never cover. a good one a good cover i've never really quite understood uh that either but um yeah anyway corn, uh corn went, uh, that first corn album right extremely serious like every song nothing i mean i guess like uh, shoots and, shoot and ladders yeah it's a little silly it's goof. It's it's it is kind of a goof, but they like had every album until Issues had a goof on it. Yeah. And uh Issues is the is the first one I remember that didn't have a big goof on it. And uh fuck so much of Follow the Leader is a goof. Yeah, well, like, yeah, we we, we literally, yeah it's, yeah, it's literally in the title of the episode. We called it three gimmicks and a classic because uh <laughs> Because there's just like, it's literally, yeah, like Cameltosis is stupid. All in the family is stupid. Earache my eye is stupid. It just, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you're right. Corn definitely. I mean, the problem for Corn, and we're going to get into this when we get into the album, drugs. It's just too many. They were just doing too many drugs, and they thought every idea they came up with was the greatest idea anyone's ever had. And they're also very stupid. So that's that's also a problem. But uh, the album we are covering this month, our three year anniversary is Korn's second album. Life is peachy. It came out on October 15th, 1996. It was once again produced by Ross Robinson. Uh, it garnered three singles, No Place to Hide, Adidas and Good God. It peaked at number three on the Billboard 200. And in its first week of being released in the United States, it sold one hundred and six thousand copies it was released in october it went platinum by uh sorry it was uh released in october of 96 it went gold by january 97 and platinum by december 97 it has now gone two times platinum in america and has sold six million copies worldwide uh it peaked at number one on the new zealand albums chart uh, number 32 in the UK, number 32 in Canada. It ended the year 1997 at number 132 on the U.S. Billboard 200. Uh, the singles, No Place to Hide, Adidas and Good God, all made it into the top 20, uh, into the 20s, I should say, on the UK charts. Uh, Adidas was their best performing single off of this album. Uh, it made it to uh, number 13 on the Bubbling Under the Hot 100 singles uh, list and number 22 in the UK and ended the year at number 168 on Canada's version of uh, the Billboard 200. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly one of uh, New Metal's most successful albums. 
And Brian, I know you've, you've already sort of alluded to the fact that uh, this album was hugely important to you. Um, one of the things we've obviously talked a lot about corn on the show. Um, and, you know, we always talk about our history with a band to lead off how we discuss the album as a whole. And, um, you know, I think we've, like I said, we've already talked a lot about how corn had a lot of influence on both of our lives and both of our uh, sort of dalliance with this genre, but life is peachy in particular. I'm curious about because with you, because life is peachy for me, I came to it after the fact. So I, you know, I got into corn with follow the leader. So life is peachy came later, but you would have been like excited and anticipating this album to come out. So I'm excited to hear back in 1996, um, you know, how you were anticipating life is peachy and how it sort of either lived up to or didn't live up to those expectations or, you know, tell me a little bit about that. It's also generally considered a bad album by it is. Like, yeah. A lot of the critics say it's uh yeah, it, it, it sort of got middling, middling reviews, uh, leaning favorable, but not, uh, but yeah, not super important. Although it did, it has done well retrospectively. I meant to mention that as well. Alternative press in 2021, uh, named it in the top 20 albums of 1996. And in 2022, it was named number 13 on metal hammers list of the 50 best new metal albums of all time. It also won Kerrang's best album of the year in 1997, but overall, yeah, you're right. Mainstream critics weren't in love with it. Yeah. And, and you know what the thing about it is, is like, I needed this fucking album. Like, I have talked about this a lot that, like, basically every time I got paid, I would go buy some CDs. So I bought corn and it kind of changed the CDs I was buying. Like, before corn, I was buy I bought, like, you know, Stone Temple Pilots album, uh, uh, just a lot of, like, radio alt rock stuff i didn't i didn't know about underground bands until i found out about corn you know i was a typical kind of when you're a, a 15 13 14 15 you kind of just want to like like all of the same stuff as everybody at school so you don't kind of stand out i guess um, maybe 13, 14, something like that. It just, there was a time in my life where the, all the music I liked was the same as all the music that other people liked so that I didn't like have anybody telling me the stuff I liked was like nerdy or whatever, you know, to make right. me a nerd. So like when I found corn and I got like ultra in like I, that was that was the first band I really became like an evangelist for that. I like went like fucking nuts to it, you know, that first album. And and I believe it was like a two year span between Life is Peachy, the first album and Life is Peachy. Yeah. 94, and, then 96 and then Follow the Leader was 98. So imagine, right, I find this album in early 1995. I find Corn in early 1995. Um, it changes what I like in music. The first 12 verse, or the first at least six concerts I go to are Corn concerts, straight up. And that's how I find other music, too. So I, I uh, uh, 
you know, I go see corn, Limp Biscuits opening. I see Limp Biscuit, or I go see corn, Fear Factory's open. And then I'm like, well, I really like Fear Factory. But I didn't like it. It was in a like corn was like the superstar of of the scene at the time. I hadn't heard any Deftones yet. And even when I found Deftones, it took until around the fur before I was like, ah, maybe I like Deftones more than more than corn. So like I had the internet, I had corn TV, which was, they mm-hmm. used that to hype the hype it. And it was like, it was video content on the internet, uh, like a show where they showed them making this album. I also owned who then now on mm. VHS. So I watched mm-hmm. that a hundred times and they're recording this album on who then now too. Yeah, we reviewed that with um, Nick Weiger like way back in the day on our Patreon. Right. So, like, I was fucking starving for a new album, especially a new album by Corn. Because when you go out and buy a bunch of stuff, you know, I like the Sepultura album. Uh, I don't think I had found Coal Chamber yet. Uh, I had a three three song Limp Biscuit sampler before three dollar bill y'all came out, and it was just like. I need to hear this. And then, you know, back in the day, they would they would post little snippets of songs that you could listen on your dial-up modem, and it would often be hard to tell what's happening in the song because, like, you're hearing 30 seconds of it, and you're like, I, I, it's, like, completely decontextualized, I guess. So I, uh, uh, when this album came out, I had to borrow money from my uh, younger brother. It's birthday money. And so we'll share it. We'll share life as peachy. And uh, we did actually. And, uh, you know, I don't think they could have made an album. I wouldn't like at that point. I just, I remember hearing this and, and just finding out later that it had been kind of reviewed poorly and being like, how man, that thing is, I mean, I, I, I think I like it more than the first album. Or the third, or follow the leader. Um, I think the only thing that comes close with me is Issues, and uh, which I love. That's like my favorite Corn album. Um, but yeah, this album is so mind-blowingly good. It's like getting bonus songs from the first album in a way. It's it's kind of like a B sides and rarities collection in a way. It's it's giving you almost exactly what the first album gave you, but just more songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Life is Peachy has a really interesting history with me because you know I was a very fickle child. Um, in those days. And I remember, um, as I said, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't get into new metal period until freak on a leash, like seeing the freak on a leash video on much music was basically my introduction into new metal. And so I remember, um, obviously I got super into follow the leader and I loved it. I loved basically the whole record and yeah, similar to you, it was just, Prior to that, I had listened to pop punk. I've talked about that on the show before, but that was sort of my, you know, Green Day, Blink-182, Weezer. Those were my sort of bands. And so Korn was this sort of, they were the first band that was like a really heavy band I listened to. And this is like pre-internet days too. I mean, obviously the internet exists, but it's pre sort of discovering music via the internet days, right? This is still like Columbia house days. So, you know, for me getting follow the leader, it was like, that was the only 
heavy music that I knew I liked. I mean, I didn't, I had no way, like, I didn't know about Limp Bizkit yet. I didn't know about, you know, Incubus, System of a Down, any of like, I didn't know about any of those bands. So like Follow the Leader was so huge for me. And I was like, I got to get more of this band. So I got the self-titled, the first record, and I loved it as well. And then I remember growing up, uh, my family had a cottage and across the street from us was a, an older kid that I looked up to. He was like maybe four years older than me, maybe five years older than me. And I remember he found out that I got into corn and he was like, Oh, I love corn too. And I couldn't believe it. Cause I, no one at my school listened to corn. I didn't know anybody that was into corn. Like I was the only one. And so hearing he, him be like, I'm really into it. Um, was so cool to me. But then he said a very fateful sentence to me, Bri, he said, yeah, I love the first album, but the second album sucks. And then he yeah. was like, but follow the leader is really good. And I love mm. the first record, but the second album sucks. And so then when he said that, that to me, he's like a kid I looked up to, whatever. I was like, okay, life is peachy sucks. I don't need to listen to it. And so I went like probably a year, like it, we probably got into 1999 and then it was like corn got so big that, you know, much music would play. They do like an hour of corn videos or whatever, you know, they'd have some kind of corn feature. And then it was like there, I heard Adidas and no place to hide and good God. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is not, I like this. I like this album too. And then, so then I came to life is peachy probably like a full year or two after I had even gotten into corn because I couldn't get over the fact that this guy that I sort of looked up to just said it was bad, <laughs> you know, which is so funny to think about, but that's true. I mean, that's just how I operated when I was younger. And I think a lot of us did too. And then, yeah, and then I ended up loving it, uh, you know, in the moment. And I think I've talked before on the show about how corn scared me. And like, there are definitely some scary corn moments on this album i mean this the song we were joking about like uh cunts or whatever the song's called i hate that i have to say that word whatever um but uh but yeah it's called this stupid but i remember hearing that for the first time and it just like blew my virgin ears off my head it was just like i go what is the, what the fuck is going on but yeah like for a long long time I would tell anyone who would listen that No Place to Hide was my favorite corn song. Um, and I think there's so many good songs in this record. And yeah, so that's my history with it is I just, yeah, it took me a long time to get to it. But once I got to it, I agree with you, Brian. It just felt like a logical extension of the first record in a genre where there weren't any other competitors, really. So you were just happy to get more of what was sort of the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that, like, I mean, this album made such an impression on me that uh, there, one time in my life I got to perform in a wrestling ring. Um, <laughs> I was doing this thing, and they were like, do you want an entrance? And uh, we each got to pick an entrance song, and I came out to Porno Creep because I had always wanted to fucking walk out to Porno Creep. And uh, it was so goddamn cool. To like get in the ring and like run the ropes <laughs> to like this song that I grew up listening to. I did. I should have picked a heavier one. Now I know I should pick a heavy one. But as a teen, I always said if I get to walk out on a stage ever, I want it to be the porno creep because it just sounds like like the coolest fucking song that I had ever heard. Um, 
Do you want to know a this, fun fact about me? I used to wrestle in my friend's backyard. We had a trampoline and it was just me and him. It was not like a backyard wrestling federation or whatever, but he had like a jungle gym. So we would like pull the trampoline over to the jungle gym. So the jungle gym was like the top rope. And then we would just like wrestle for hours on his trampoline. And my entrance music was a, a remix of faith by Limp Bizkit that I made myself using a, a using a dual uh, tape deck uh, recording p- part of it onto a tape. So it was just the beginning of faith, like that part. And then I skipped to the part where Fred goes, get the fuck up. And then that was like, and so then that was when I would come out of the curtain. So the, or well, I would come out of his sliding glass door. And then that was my, that was my entrance music when I was 15 wrestling my friend in his backyard. I loved pro wrestling as a kid. Like, I mean, I love it now, but I'm I'm saying like I liked doing it. And we didn't even like really know if it was fake or not. So we were really laying it in on each other. I got fucking DDT'd onto a fucking tree stump. Like, <laughs> shoot DDT'd. Like, I let him get me in the headlock and then I let him DDT me. And uh, I was like, yeah, that's just how it is, man. You know, it hurts. Some of this stuff's fake, but some of it's real. Some of it hurts. Sometimes you just break your neck. You know, it's not a big deal, but sometimes you do, which is true of (laughs) pro wrestling, too. But we figured out really early that um, Frisbees were really good for hitting guys in the head because they made an awesome noise. But the center of Frisbees have like give on them. So like that was like our chair shot is like we had like multiple frisbees and we would just fucking <laughs> whack each other in the head with frisbees and they don't they don't hurt at all, but they're all made of plastic so they make a wicked noise when they hit your head. So we are you know we are maybe a little ahead of the game, but yeah, I'm sure I'm positive both of us concussed each other at some point. I like we did so much oh, dumb yeah. shit. It was on it was absurd. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like man I can remember the first time I saw the album cover. The I album cover the first is time. so fucking good. We've talked about the, than the first. We've talked about the first album cover being amazing. This album cover is so good. Like it, you know everything about the band from seeing the album cover. Like it is, and it's it's on theme with the first album cover. I mean, it's it's perfect. It is such a good album cover. Uh, yeah, we don't talk about the I album just, art that much on the pod, but it's so good. I just I remember seeing that for the first time and just being fucking blown away by it and just like I need to hear this album and <laughs> you know MTV wasn't gonna play any of the singles. Uh, well, they didn't even make videos, right? Like like the first they single, did, but well, they didn't. Like No Place to Hide doesn't have a video. Adidas they made a video for, and then Good God is just like concert footage. Jonathan Davis talks a bunch of. He loves to tell anyone who would listen around this time that music videos are stupid and they didn't want to do any. Well, I mean, they did a lot of them. I know. Uh, of course, they do. They do so many. Yeah, here we go. This is the exact quote here. Corn did not make a music video for No Place to Hide, as Davis said it was, quote, a waste of time and money and mentioned the band's integrity. They chose instead to include a live video of Good God on their enhanced CD. The song Adidas was released as a single in early 97, and the song's music video was directed by Joseph Kahn, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, Good God, they ended up making a performance video for. But yeah, Jonathan Davis loves to say a lot of contradictory things things around this time which we're going to get into um when yeah, we get to I the mean, articles he, but yeah i think like it's crazy man because like 
I, I said now that we're in it, like I'm gonna say, like Lowrider is the only song on here that I would cut, and it's only like 40 seconds long. It's just you, 40 you would, seconds. Are you fucking joking me that you would not cut track eight? I'm that's insane. what's track eight cunt. Yes. Nah, it's fine. Oh, you know what I mean? Come on. Come on. That song is so fucking bad, especially well, when you hear Jonathan Davis talk about it. It's even well, worse. Sure. It's like it's like he's trying. It's so funny to me because he gets asked directly about it in one of the articles we're going to read. And it is wild to me that he like kind of has a chance to explain it away and he makes it so much worse. (laughs) I guess let me say this though. Let me say this though. It's weird. Reading that was very weird to me because uh, as I said, I was, I was paying attention them in the run up to this album coming out. I was reading anything I could find on this album and it was actually described to me. Or, or it was actually described in some of the pieces as just being them wanting to say as many cuss words as they could in a sure, song. which of course is that what happened. Was explained. That's what it was explained as. Now, reading that article today, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's the one part. Do that. There's the one part in the second verse where he just starts saying swear words. Like the first part of it is like he's yeah he's talking about like ugly women basically. Um, and stuff, but then he just says, fuck shit, cock, dick, cunt, tit, barf, piss, balls, ass, pecker, queef, oh shit, that's fuck the bitch. Good. Yeah. That's <laughs> the part I like. No, that's a stupid part, but um, yeah, so it doesn't, yeah, it definitely, like, I agree. Like, if someone told me that growing up, that that was their whole, like, they were trying to do, like, George Carlin's, like, seven words you can't say on TV, but, like, in a song, I would have totally believed that as well, but then, yeah, the song, the we might as well read it because we're talking about it. This is from uh, a met the metal hammer archives. This is an interview, a one-on-one interview with Jonathan oh. Davis from the time. Can period. I say, what? yeah. Can I say first? Yeah. That is the worst article I've ever read for this show. It's really the, bad. The, the interviewer is the, the person that wrote it is the worst person in the history of the world. <laughs> Why? Why is it on the person? I feel like it's on Jonathan Davis. Well, Jonathan Davis comes off bad too, but but thought, oh my god, the beginning of the yeah, story, the beginning, yeah, the beginning is bad. The beginning is where bad. he's we'll talking get- about like Salem, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, Americans just love getting fat and stupid and stuff like that. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's god, they were definitely making fun. Up. It's funny in a metal magazine they were kind of making fun of corn, sort of. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll get to, we'll get to all the articles, but this is the one, this is the quote. The question is, how about the sentiments behind the song cunt? Have you had a lot of flack for the attitude towards women expressed in that song? Yeah. In America, in Europe, you call each other yeah. cunts, you bloody cunt all the time in America. They thought, cause I named it that, that it was against women, but I just wrote that song. It is toward women, but women that have hurt me in my life, ex-girlfriends Insane. and stuff like that. It's like. I love that he says in America, they thought I named it that because it was against women. It's not against women, but it is against women. Yeah, it's <laughs> but, absolutely but women, against women. It's absolutely but you should be against allowed women. to write songs against women. 
I mean, <laughs> women are allowed to write song against men. That's what he says. It's just. Yeah. It's, he says ex-girlfriends and stuff like that. Women go around talking about men all the time. Men are pigs. Well, fuck that. Oh, I can God. fucking talk shit about women because women do fuck men over a lot. All women in America or wherever always want guys who will treat them bad and make them fucking go, okay, I'm going to try and get him to love me more. They thrive on that fuck you complex. Yet I write a song about women who hurt me and I get fucking bashed for it. I have no animosity towards women at all. I fucking love women. Women are great. They're great. They're great, 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 man. If I come home and talk to my girl about personal things, she makes me feel better about myself. Don't forget who you are and all that. And I go, thank you. Okay, first I want to say I I'm imagining Jonathan Davis reading like a Kathy comic strip and getting offended <laughs> when she says men are pigs. See, they can fucking say whatever they want. <laughs> I do believe it. I do believe Jonathan Davis read Kathy comics. No question about yeah. it. Yeah. And it offended him. It made him feel like like fuck this shit, man. He, he he's so a, he's so a Trump guy. After hearing that, I believe he's a Trump guy. Like, he's got yeah, Trump maybe. guy vibes. Yeah, yeah. He could be. It's hard to know because I feel like in modern interviews, he comes across very well. Like, he comes across as a guy who sort of understands, pardon me, what corn was all about. He understands that, you know, there's a little bit of jokiness to the whole thing. I think, think he's a, a smart, I think, I think he's a smart guy. So I feel like maybe he's aged better. I just, for me, reading all the interviews and listening to this record, like it is clear they were just on a lot of drugs at the time. That's what is clear to me. They're, and and they kind of talk about that on Who Then Now when we watched that with uh, with Weiger. Like it, it was pretty clear that they were fucked up a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, I, I think it makes for a great record. I think the record is super frenetic and crazy. Um, but... I do think it also led to a lot of poor decision making. <laughs> it's really funny that that like the the album itself is it's funny to listen to as an adult now because I feel because I feel like the next album as far as themes go takes a really big fucking leap from from this. And I feel like this album feels like some dudes that are just like, we just got to make something exactly like the first one, man. We just, we got to be pissed totally. off about stuff and we got to fucking, it's got to sound crunchy and that's going to be what it is. Um, and they didn't really start taking risks until this album was not a risk. This album no, was going to be liked no. by everybody that liked the first one. Well, most people that liked the first one, you know, yeah, because it is so fucking close. Even the track layout sometimes I'm just like in awe of like, like I think Good God was track six. Yeah. And that is the Faget, uh, uh Yes. Spot. You know what I mean? And like they're kind of the same. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, uh, and you know, their last song convention where the last song is this like crazy thing. I mean, kind of ends after, um, it kind of ends after the, uh, uh, follow the leader, but you could tell that there was a lot of thought put into what the last song was going to be down to it being, I know daddy's not about a, a, a daddy, but it's, it's about a parent the uh, yeah. uh 
last song, which is funny. Well, I, I, that song, dude, if I got in trouble, my stepmom fucking yelled all the time. I'm not like saying I was like abused or anything like that. I'm just saying that like she came home from work every day and everybody fucking scattered because we knew she was going to start screaming about something. And uh, uh, so anytime that would happen and I would be like the focus of whatever she's screaming about, I would go down to my room and listen to kill you. Cause I knew it was about his stepmom because he says you were my stepmom in it. And yeah. that song has such a resonance to me. Like when I hear it, I just, it's crazy how much I love that song. That's, that's like way high up. I, I, you know, I like my gift to you. And then probably after that, it would be kill you for me. I, I think that's not the list I made before, but I don't know. I, I love that song. I fucking think uh, it's so good. I think it's a great song too. I, I think it's a really good song. And I think it's, I think actually kill you is probably the song where you s can start to draw a line to follow the leader too. Right? Like it's yeah. got that sort of cleanish guitar at the, at the beginning. It's got a, a lot more sort of loud, quiet dynamics that they would play with on follow the leader um, it, it, it just feels a little more bombastic in a way that a lot of the songs on this record don't, it's not quite as raw sounding. I mean, obviously the lyrical content is very raw, but the, the track itself to me, that's the one that is sort of the bridge, um, to follow the leader. But yeah, I mean, I think kill you's an awesome song. Um, and yeah, it is also funny to me that I totally agree with you about the track layout. It's hilarious. Um, the daddy kill you parallel is in, like it's so funny um yeah. that they would do that on two albums in a row but it's even funnier because jonathan davis in multiple interviews talks about how he left all of that stuff on the first record and it's like what yeah. are you what are you talking about like there's multiple interviews he's like yeah you know people a lot of the critics were just like oh this guy's just yelling about his feelings and being a child and he needs to it's grow like up and, and he's like, and I, so I left all that stuff on the first record. I'm like, what? I was like, you literally have a, he's like, he literally says in one of the interviews, it's not like I cried on this record or whatever. Like daddy, he's crying and kill you also. I it's know. not like, I know. it's not like open sobbing, but his voice like cracks and he's definitely and he's doing it on like, purpose and he's doing it on purpose to, be, so then to come out and say, well, there's none of that stuff on this record. It's like, it, you have the exact thing on this record. <laughs> it's like that part also, uh, made me laugh very hard. It's funny because like, who gives a fuck if some critic says that because the people that listen to you, that's what they want. They want that shit. Yeah. That's they love the they first like record. It. We like feelings. We were really heavy. In, well, not all the feelings, but a couple of the feelings we were really into at the time. And one was anger and one was sadness. And, uh, you know, sometimes you like to be happy, but I was very rarely that. So I would say anger and sadness was the feeling I was shooting for. And like also the way he says, like, people come to these shows to get out their aggression. And it's like, yeah. It's all feelings, dude. The whole thing is fucking feelings. feelings yeah. It's yeah. the most feelings ass shit. 
in the world. And it's like exciting because you're a teenage boy. And guess what? You're having fucking feelings constantly. It's all that fucking happens. But you're not, you know, especially at this time, you're like not really supposed to have any feelings. You know, you're supposed to be like, I don't give a fuck about nothing, you know? And like, I think that's why corn hits so big with me because I am pretty emotional guy you know and um there was i mean i didn't know anything about emo at the time and it probably wasn't even really popping off that much but like uh but like this album was just like i mean won't you good god i remember seeing good god live the first time and just being like again i've seen corn 10 times they played the first album front to back Every time, same set, because they didn't have a fucking another album. So when this came out, the shows got like a the shows got like heavier and cooler, and they were still in small venues. So yeah. I was still seeing them in smaller venues. They really didn't do their first arena tour until family values. So like um, you know, I had been seeing corn and these like really small venues playing these songs specifically. Uh, and it was just like every one of them bangs. I mean, good God is just a fucking crazy it's song. You know, another song on it is this. a fucking monster. Good God. For me, that's the thing about this record too. Like, even if you don't like it front to back, I think you can easily make the case that there's four songs on this album that are in Korn's top 10 songs. I think, Dude. I think good, good God, no place to hide Adidas and kill you. I think any any corn fans list of their top 10 favorite corn songs could have any four or all four of those songs in it. Like it's they're, they're powerhouse songs and good God, especially. I mean, that that opening riff after the sort of do 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 like that riff just is a monster. Also, Chi is like a really She's kind a great of mind song blowing too. song because yeah. you had never heard him sing like that before yeah. like he does in the middle of the song it was kind of i had already gotten into deftone so that kind of sounded like chino a yeah. little bit like i thought he was doing some chino shit and like i really liked it because it sounded like a leap forward also very funny it's song number two and and it reminds me a lot of ball tongue which is <laughs> song number yeah. two on uh and we even thought in that song that he said ball tongue because it says like can't face some like something there. We yeah, always thought it's yeah. a can't face ball tongue without uh whatever. And like uh that's how we used to always think this the the song was. Like I just Asset is an incredibly underrated corn song. Like that I hate I really writing shit. Like. It is so so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I always when love he says, what a tell band me is all I f- want to know is it me inside you see <laughs> like that part is when he's like it just set me free like I go fucking nuts to that that is oh, like yeah, a, a great really song. F- fucking good and and absurd title really stupid song title oh but. yeah and Mr. Rogers is <laughs> great song fucking good it's just really psychotic. good song absurd you know? lyrics absolutely absurd lyrics <laughs> <laughs> but like, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, these motherfuckers, you know, I didn't say these words cause I didn't have the vocabulary to know this, but like these motherfuckers are moving forward. This is such a, 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 a great, you don't often hear bridges between albums as well as, you know, 
the first three corn albums i you know even throw in issues there too because it becomes a whole other thing that you don't even see coming i feel like you know? i feel like the the gap i feel like the transition from follow the leader to issues is that they knew they were playing the songs on issues in an arena that to yeah. me is the it's like it is very similar to follow the leader it comes out pretty soon after follow the leader too it's only like a year and a half after follow the leader but it's like that to me was when they knew they were playing the riffs in an arena so it's like a little mm-hmm. bit more riff heavy to me but not that's not not a not a critique it's very good but to me that's the progression i think yeah and then i think obviously they do become better songwriters on on this record on life is speechy i think it's interesting too that they talk about how they wrote a lot of life is peachy, like in the studio and they admit that this was like a rushed album. And I wonder, I wonder if it kind of contributes to some of the more frenetic energy on the record. But I was reading an interview with, um, pardon me, David Silveria. He was, it was a modern drummer interview and I used to get modern drummer all the time when I was a kid, pardon me when I was learning how to drum and stuff, I used to love buying it at the store. So it was fun for me to like read an, an article where they were interviewing David and yeah, he basically just talked about how he was full on about it. He said that they wanted to put the record out in October because they didn't want it to come out during the Christmas season. They were like albums tend to get buried in November and December by Christmas music. And we didn't want to get buried by that, but we didn't want to wait until January because we wanted to start touring. And so we basically had two months to make this record and we just had to bang it out. And he said uh, the exact quote was that uh, even though Uh, Some ideas emerged before the album was entirely composed in the studio because the band was less inspired on the road. Silveria explained, we went in really fresh and we wanted to get it done quickly to capture that moment. So it was probably about 60% knowing what I was going to play and 40% just playing whatever came to mind at that moment. It ended up really good and it has a kind of energy I probably wouldn't have gotten if I'd worked everything out beforehand. Um, And then Jonathan Davis has gone on to say that uh, he actually doesn't like the album because of its rushed production, which I can understand too, you know, having been in a band uh, that's made records and also being a comedian that's put out albums, you know, it's always the way it goes that you put out an album as a comedian. And then like a month later, you write a tag for a joke and you're just like, fuck, I wish like that tag is so good. I wish that tag was on the album. And I'm sure it's the same thing for them. I'm sure they think the songs are good, but they listen to the record and they're like, oh, we should have done this here. We should have done that there, whatever, you know. And another thing that's wild to me too, Bri, is the one B side that came off of this album, Proud, is on the I Know What You Did Last Summer soundtrack. And to me, if it was on this record, it would be one of the best five songs on the record. I think that song is really, really good. Um, and so I'm yeah. sort of surprised that they only wrote one song extra. Like that's the, of all these songs, that's the one they decided to cut. And it's one of the best songs. I mean, I think it's, it's so good. I think the studio or the studio, the uh, label wanted the goof songs. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I could see the, the, them being like, well, Shoots and Ladders was uh, your biggest hit on the last album, so we're gonna need a couple of goofs on on yeah on this album. So the and you're right, like that was I always think that like Jonathan Davis and and 
any of these guys saying that this album uh that they don't like this album because they've all said it is a result of reviews that said they maybe didn't mature enough between yeah this and uh and um follow the leader or this and the first album they're like this is still more of the same of the first album and then as a defense mechanism you know jonathan day jonathan and David and Field, they all, when they're doing their interviews, are like, yeah, I mean, it was rushed, you know, we had to write it really fast, we could have probably done better if we'd have had more time, and like, all this shit, um, is, that's what, like, I think that, like, it's an excuse, I guess is what I would say, I think, an excuse that I don't think is necessary, because, I mean, I guess, like, at that time, too, the only real opinions you saw came from critics. Like, it's not like you could, you know, I mean, obviously they had a website and, and like people could go to it, but that wasn't like indicative of what people generally think of the album. That's indicative of what all of your, the biggest fans you have are are uh saying about the album yeah. so yeah i just feel like if if you know back then if you got some bad reviews you know you just assumed you just made that like that's what everybody thinks because these reviews are bad and uh i think they just want to have an excuse uh for some of the some of the reviews where they said they didn't show any growth but you know I don't think they would have made the same kind of uh I don't think they'd be making the same kind of excuses now in yeah. in 2022 well, cuz they and would I know think, that their fans like it. Yeah, totally. Well, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like I do genuinely think that um you know, this genre didn't really exist, right? Especially in 96, right? Like really and you've you've already alluded to this like really in 96 all you have is Korn's first album. We don't have Limp Bizkit yet. We don't have Cold Chamber yet. We don't have, I mean, and then obviously there are a lot more Deftones. bands to come. You have Deftones, but that's about it. So you got Adrenaline, and Adrenaline doesn't sound like Korn. I mean, and you have to be way in to find Adrenaline. To find too. Adrenaline, like, yeah, exactly. I Around did, the Fur doesn't come out till 97. So you got Adrenaline and, in 95. I didn't find uh, Adrenaline until way after it came out, and it was just a stroke of luck that uh, we were watching this this thing called The Box that we had yeah. here. I don't know if you guys had it, but you could call a 1-900 number and request three, play three songs. It was like a jukebox. Oh, no. And uh, we were like kind of sitting watching it, and Board came on, and the guys in the video were kind of dressed like us. And, uh, you know, they, they just had like, uh, some of the same vibes as, as us. And that's how I got into adrenaline. We literally saw the video, uh, jumped in a friend's car, drove to the record store and immediately bought adrenaline and sat in the car and got high and listened to it because it was just like, I'd been buying these albums. I had bought like orange nine millimeter and I didn't like it. Um, just a lot of the other stuff that you would get recommended because it kind of came close, but right. wasn't necessarily what a corn fan, what, what I was looking for because there wasn't like a genre yet. And, you know, a lot of the bands were trying to do uh, a more funk based, like they were, 
they were trying to do more of a red hot chili peppers thing that you yeah. would get recommended like bands and they'd be doing like a red hot chili peppers or like a rage against the machine or like just not necessarily what somebody who is like obsessed with those first two corn albums uh would would be into it, it's that's not like uh that's not what a lot of that stuff was so yeah. uh well that's what i mean was, sorry go ahead hearing this was great because all i had was one other album and that's which exactly is right like i then that's what i think is like you don't you wouldn't have minded that life is peachy kind of sounded like the first record because it wasn't like there was a bunch of other shit like that going on. You know, it's like I think of a band like the national is like an example of a band that, you know, kind of all their records somewhat sound the same. It's like a similar tone. Obviously they're not the same, but it's, you know, and because there's so much other music that kind of sounds like the national or is in the same vein as the national, like, by the time you get to the fourth national record or the th- you're like, I don't need any more of this. I've already got, <laughs> I've got enough of that already. And I'm listening to a bunch of other bands that sound like it, whatever. Whereas like corn, we're creating the thing still. So, you know, life is peachy somewhat sounding like the first record doesn't matter because you'd be just fucking fired up. Like you said, to just get more of that because you, you literally had to wait like two years just to get more of it because no one else was doing the thing. And I think by the time, you know, when corn starts to lose, lose their steam around untouchables and a little after that, I mean, obviously new metal sort of died, but it's also just that a bunch of other bands were doing it. So you didn't need to wait so long for a record that you would like. So then when corn records came out, it wasn't, it didn't feel as vital, um, which I think is, you know, I think is a big part of it. And I want to say, Um, We were talking about critic reviews and it's funny, like thinking about Jonathan Davis specifically responding to the sort of, you know, talking about his childhood thing. And I honestly think Robert Criscow, of course, is one of the most, uh, you know, revered critics of the 20th century village voice guy wrote for Rolling Stone as well, a bunch of other places. And he refused. So when he thought an album was a bomb, he wouldn't even write a review of it. It would just have a bomb symbol beside it. So life is peachy was a bomb. He didn't even write about it. Um, and then he wrote about the self-titled record, which I might've read this when we reviewed the self-titled record, but that was three years ago. So whatever, but this does seem to be a review that Jonathan Davis is like directly responding to in those interviews. So this is a review of the self-titled record from Robert Criscow. The cover depicts a frightened little girl peering up from a swing at a hook-handed rapist whose huge shadow slants across her space. The girl's shadow seems to hang from the gallows-shaped K of the band logo. They love this image, exploited in every trade ad as Sony flogs their death industrial into its second year. They sing about child abuse, too. Guess what? They're aging it. But if their name isn't short for kitty porn, they should insist on a video where they get eaten by giant chickens. C minus. Uh, what a bad review. Yeah. It doesn't like talk a, about like the music review. Yeah. It doesn't talk about the music at all, but clear though, right? Like if that's a big critic that's writing in a short little window and basically saying like, Oh, you're just like a band that sings about your childhood. Oh, poor you. Good for you. You know, like it feels like, uh, it feels interesting to me that like that maybe there is somewhat of a direct response there, but I agree with what you're saying earlier. I, I think for corn at this time, right? Bry, like, I mean, you would have been around it more, but maybe they just like, they couldn't have known how big their audience was. 
right? Like no, there's no way they could yeah. have, they could have anticipated selling over a hundred thousand copies of life is peachy in the first week. Right? No. And you know, that's one of the things like I, I always say that like, you know, right before this album came out, could have, yeah, it would have been right before this album came out. I, I, I saw them with monster magnet opening at a fucking 600 capacity venue in Columbus. Like, like they blew up like out of fucking nowhere. Like, it just felt like nobody's listening to this. I'm, I'm the only person that's like me and my friends are the only people that are into this. And then, you know, life is PG comes out. Then we're in the bigger venue more often, but it's still only like, I think a 2000 capacity venue. And it doesn't happen until that's the other thing that fucking pisses me off about. Like, it's not like it happened for them right away. Like these guys fucking worked, man. Like you got to respect the, the, the fucking work ethic here at the very least. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Jonathan Davis said in one of the interviews that in 1995, they played 306 shows. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it, man, because I think I saw them like four times between albums, between Life is Peachy and this, four, maybe five times, dude, because I remember it got up to, I think, 13 times before I saw another band that Korn wasn't at. I think I saw Korn like 13 times before I saw anything else by anybody. Right. Um, Because there were, it, it was Pantera. You know, because I guess if you liked corn at the time, Pantera was heavy. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's heavier, and heavier for sure. Yeah, it's more, it's not even necessarily heavier, but it's more straight ahead metal. Like corn is doing a different, corn's doing a different thing, right? Yeah, but that's, that was like Pantera would have been a band that people that like corn would have been really into in the time that this album came out. You know, does does that make sense? Like, yeah, like, yeah. like you just there wasn't anything else. It was it was it was just like, well, I mean, grunge or like the alt rock on the radio, the Stone Temple Pilots and stuff like that. Green Day that I was listening to in 10th grade in early 10th grade at the beginning of the year in 10th grade like these bands that i was listening to all of a sudden were almost rendered obsolete by this one album that i listened to where i was like fuck this is like this is what i want to hear this is the like i want to hear noise that sounds like this all of those get rendered useless because they're not heavy enough at that point i've talked about how i wanted to see bush you know what i mean and in in the same year that I found corn at the end of this, like at the beginning of the school year, I wanted to see Bush. And then by, I think April or March, I had gotten way into corn and I didn't, I was like, I would never even like, I'd be like, fuck, are you accusing me of liking Bush? Like I would get all mad about it. <laughs> right, and shit, right. You know? So it was like a sea change that happened, but you were stuck with nothing. Like there was just fucking nothing else, you know, Pantera, uh, I think I found Marilyn Manson uh, kind of quickly because my brother had seen Corn, Danzig, and Marilyn Manson at a show. That's the first time he saw Corn, and when he turned me on to Corn, so you know I, I bought Portrait of an American Family. 
Uh, I had that, but that doesn't scratch the same itch either. And like, uh, you know, there was only really one thing that could scratch the itch and it was fucking corn. And then, you know, Limp Biscuit, Deftones come up, then Cole Chamber, who we talked about last week. And it's funny because, or a couple months ago, and, and I, I, maybe even last month, right? Uh, and it's fucking ago, funny yeah. that we were talking about how, like, they seem like they have a really good sense of humor about what they were doing. Like, that yeah. was the big takeaway for me. And, like, I mean, it's right under our nose, but it was a hallmark of the genre, I think, to have a sense of humor about what you're doing. It was just that we thought everything was deadly serious because of songs like Good God, songs like Kill You, Daddy, all the songs from the first album. You know? I, I don't know. I mean, I still kind of feel like Korn is taking themselves really seriously. Like, yes, I, mean, I know they have the fried Kung Pao clip lips or whatever you know and as but like, itch, which is a song about not wanting to write you yeah know? yeah i sort of get it i just think it's harder to sell as being jokey when you hear jonathan davis being like oh that's a song about how women treated me bad the album covers are both like child abuse adjacent um i i don't know like i know what you're saying i know what you're saying i just to me it seemed like Cole Chamber was like a little more aware of what they, it was a little more conscious. I think Korn were just like fuck around guys who were just like, oh, it'd be kind of funny if we just swore a bunch in a song because we can do whatever we want. But it doesn't, I don't know that it's, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that it's coming from a place of like Korn has a great sense of humor, if that makes sense. Maybe not about themselves. I don't think they have a great sense of humor. We watched Who Then Now, which is yeah, yeah, it was just, pain, you, pain. You, you, it makes you not want to ever be around these guys. But I yeah. do think like, I don't know, if you're going to put a song on your album and you call it Ass Itch and you're like, I hate writing shit. It is. It means that you're joking. That's joking around. And I think uh, it doesn't come off that way. But Wicked is a song that sounds like they're having like the time of their life. True. True. For sure. Making that song like it just yeah. is. It's it's kind of what they wanted from all in the family. But uh, it's actually a lot. It works in a way that all in the family didn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, that was a song, too. I I know I always say all covers are good, but I was a fan of the original Ice Cube song, Wicked. Like, it was, you know, when I was in high school or, or in middle school, I really loved Ice Cube and, like, NWA and stuff like that. And uh, when I heard they were covering Wicked with Chino, I was like, how the fuck are they going to do that? You know? Like, how, yeah. do they, how do you even do that as corn? And, you know, you hear it and you're like, oh, wow. Um but I just, yeah, I think like, I think that maybe the sense of humor that I'm sensing is the same sense of humor that brought, it's not funny. I'm not saying these guys are fucking funny guys, but I'm saying it's the same sort of sense of humor that we saw in, uh, um, fuck, I, I totally forgot where I was going there. Cold Chamber? Uh, I had like well, in Cold Chamber, yeah. And I think it's them being like, uh, they're not taking themselves, they're taking themselves still deadly seriously. Yes. But they're willing to write a funny song. And they're 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 kind of trying to have they're trying to have it both ways. Cause they in the articles that you you sent me to read, um, 
they seem really concerned with selling out. Like, I mean, that is the overriding theme is like authenticity to these guys, which is fucking nutty, you know, now in 2022. But at the time, uh, corn basically thrived on sort of this authenticity that people For were sure. like, these guys are our thing. You know, well, especially because like, you know, not to belabor the point, because we talked about it a lot with the self-titled record, but this record also sounds like shit. I mean, oh, it, it sounds, sounds better, though. It actually sounds better, better than sounds I like better than one. self-titled, but it doesn't sound good. David, really? Dave, the drum tone on this record is brutal. I hate the drums on this record. They sound so bad to me. Really? Um, oh, I didn't yeah. notice. I, oh I think yeah, I but feel that's like maybe just me being like, a drummer. I don't know, but like it's it definitely sounds better than the self-titled. But to me, it still has that sort of like sounds like it was recorded in a closet. Um, it's just, and I, again, it fits the music. I'm not saying that it's like it's not like I listen to it and I'm like, oh, I can't listen to this. Ah, that's not the issue. Of course, our complaint of the first album was that it is. Uh, uh, so unpleasant to listen to, and the songs seem less heavy because of for it. sure. And I don't feel that this album suffers no, from that. I agree with you on that. I just still think it's a poorly produced record. Is all I'm saying. And I think it's funny. Yeah. Like there's, you know, they talk about um, Ross Robinson a lot in the interviews <laughs> and everything, and they describe him as the sixth member of the band, and they couldn't imagine doing a record without him. <laughs> And then the very next record they do without him and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that. Um, So it's really, so it's really funny to me. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, obviously Ross Robinson is a name that comes up a ton and um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, it's all, he's obviously a guy that, you know, even we did the vanilla ice single that Ross Robinson produced. And it's funny, (laughs) like his name comes up as this sort of, new metal icon. Um, but like overall I find his records don't sound very good. I think his, his whole role, I, I think cause the bands talk about how, you know, he would really push them to get certain sounds and he was really demanding in the studio. And I think he was a very active producer, um, as far as like, you know, he probably gave the bands good direction on where the songs themselves should go. But the actual engineering and recording of his albums is bad. Like it sounds bad. It doesn't sound good. Yeah. And and, and well, so for me, I think that's that comes through here on this record too. I still have it's I agree, less than the self-titled, but there is still a feeling with this record, like I would love for this record to sound a little better than it sounds. Cause I think it could man. be I think it could be better. I think you you're one thing about you being a little younger and like sort of not being in the scene. Right. Is that like, we did not want it to sound better. No, like, totally. And if, I guess that's what I was getting hit, to. If it had sounded better in, if it had sounded cleaner in 1996, I mean, we would have called them sellouts. Yeah. Like, no, I get that. Just I get that the, for sure. The first album sounded so fucking like we called it raw which is 
yeah, stupid. That's... It was just no, not but well I think recorded. That's what, I think that's what both of these records sound very raw to me. I think that's exactly. But that's what we liked. No, for you sure. Know, and that I, that I was get one that. of the main selling points of corn at the time because, like, you think about like the previous generation of of rock, and it was like, you know, we were really pushed to like songs like 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 Nirvana wasn't like great recorded. You know what I no, mean? No, yeah, yeah. It was better, but like I think we came up in a time because of that run of like pop punk and punk in the era before this happened, like in that in that layoff between like there was grunge and then there was like this idea that punk was this big thing. We had been exposed to I think we had been exposed to a more raw sound than the people that came before us already with right. the music. Yeah. And then this just kicked it up. Like the first corn album just kicked it up to like this, this thing that like, when you heard it, you're like, I feel like, I feel like this is almost too, like, and, and the effect of that is I feel like this is almost too heavy for speakers. Like you can't even like, right. Like, right. This, this is almost like too crazy for for even listen to. Now, I wish they would have recorded it better in the same way that I wish they would have recorded the first album better. But like uh I do feel like they don't they don't take that next big step up if they do follow the leader production on Life is Peach. No, I think you're right. I think you're and I guess that was the overarching point I was making that I never actually closed the circle on, which is that it's interesting to me that Korn was was worried about their integrity when the album clearly sounds like an underground <laughs> album or whatever. Like no one was going to hear this album and accuse Korn of selling out because it <laughs> sounds like it was recorded on a in a dumpster. Like it just that to me is so funny. And I, I think too, Bri, it was, you know, you're usually the one to make wrestling comparisons on this show. But I think, you know, what what it really speaks to as well is like what you like what you were saying it just flashed in my head is i i think that's part of why people liked ecw so much as well is because mm-hmm. it felt like this underground thing because you could kind of only get it on like vhs tapes that people recorded on camcorders and it kind of looked like shit and you felt like you were a part of some club you know like oh i i like this thing and no one else knows about it no one else likes it it's like this gritty thing i like that you don't like And it's kind of the same thing. It's like you're getting these corn albums on CDs, but they kind of just automatically sounded like they were ripped off of a cassette deck, you know, and you're just sort of like, oh, this is like my older brother gave me this tape of this band corn. You've never heard of them before, but like this shit's gnarly, dude, you know, or whatever. Like I, I totally hear what you're saying. Like, I do think it added to the mystique of the sense like, Oh, we owned this band, you know, this was our band and, and we were a part of the movement. Like I, I totally see that for what it is. And I think you're right in that follow the leader was the right time. I think, cause now we've reviewed all three we've done corn. We've done now done life is peachy. And of course we did follow the leader about a year ago. We've actually done the corn albums almost a year apart. It's like our fans are our listeners are exactly ready to hear corn about corn once a year. Uh, we've, we've done corn own. We did the first one in October, the second one in August, this one in September. So we're pretty much a year apart on all of them. But anyway, what I was going to say is I think you're right in that. I don't remember 
there being a lot of talk of corn selling out with follow the leader. Maybe there was in Groveport with your friends or whatever, but I think you're right. It felt like the right time to step it up, have glossier production, try to have a more clear single or singles on the record, do the big budget videos, all of that. It did feel like even people who were with corn from the beginning were ready for that leap at that time. Am I right in saying that? I feel like, Corn didn't become to people like me uncool until issues the the what's the album after issues untouchables Untouchables, yeah that was the end i i think i i loved issues and then untouchables i was just like "Mm, i don't need this anymore you know i was into i was into like you know oh i like deftones a lot more oh uh, you know uh i like coal chamber a lot or slipknot or you know i had just gotten into music in a different way right after uh after issues and uh it didn't it it just didn't appeal to me to go back to corn again at that time um but i don't think anybody thought they sold out because i don't think anybody knew what sellouts were obviously people would call them sellouts because they sold a bunch of records you know what I mean? That was oh yeah. That's even in like that era, you couldn't sell too many <laughs> records, or there were going to be people who were like, "Oh wait, you're selling records? What the fuck?" Yeah, but like again, life is peachy is just it's just they hadn't gotten popular in that way yet. I mean, MTV didn't really play the video for Adidas. They would no. It was no. like every now and then. It wasn't a lot. It 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 was it was definitely not a lot. They didn't start playing their shit until Freak on a Leash or Got the Life. They started playing with Got the Life, and that's when I think everybody found out like this band's huge, you know. Because I watched it grow from fucking nothing to from opening for Megadeth to now Megadeth is opening for Corn. So like, yeah, yeah, no, totally. I don't know. Totally. I. I I uh uh I don't I I don't think I ever I don't think I've ever said that corn sold out but I will say that like I mean I think the end of the road for me was y'all want a single and it was just like no I just I can't right now with this with y'all want a single <laughs> no thank you man I yeah. just it's not it's not clever or anything like that you are writing singles on every you've written a single on every album before this since I mean, they they put a single on every album. You can't say that Shoots and Ladders wasn't specifically earmarked to be a single. Oh, totally. You it's got bagpipes say, in it. It's gimmicky. It's, yeah, totally. Yeah, you can't say that that uh, uh, Adidas wasn't specifically earmarked to be a single. It, totally. It the video is directed perfect. by Joseph Kahn. Like, that's that, that right there alone is enough to say it's a single. Like, he made most of the biggest music videos of the time. I think he directed Charlie's angels. Like you can't have that's a McGee. Sir. Oh, McGee. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always conflate McGee and Joseph Kahn, the two, the two auteurs of the time. Uh, but, but yeah. Well, when you say that, even like where it's like, uh, that's why y'all want a single has always been very funny to me. Right. Because it's like, fuck that. We're not writing a fucking single, man. You know, it's like, motherfucker, you did not write Adidas 
just you didn't write a song called Adidas where you say all day I dream about sex and not think that a lot of people were going to fucking respond to that, especially considering that they signed a deal with Adidas like right after yes. they made that yes. song. You know, it's like you can't. But that was considered cool, man. Oh, I thought that was like the coolest cool. shit in the world. Oh, sure. like, like it's like corn is Michael Jordan at this point. Like, oh, yeah, I wish they would have made corn shoes. That's the thing that always bummed me out is. I wish Adidas would have made corn shoes. That'd have been sick. Because I'd have bought them. I know you would have. Uh, okay, well, let's get to the articles. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, before every, uh, or sorry, at the end of every episode, we find articles from the time period, or at least as close to the time period as we can. Uh, and we just sort of see what they were talking about, what was going on. And, uh, Brian, did you have, so we have four. So are there some things that, that stood out to you right away? Yeah. I'm looking at what Joseph Kahn has directed. Uh, uh-huh. he made torque. And, oh, uh, torque, torque. That nice. was his big movies, but he I made he did I, for fucking everybody. Oh, for everybody, man. everybody. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, I'll kick us off with one of the quotes. Cause we were talking about this earlier about how Jonathan Davis, you know, uh, talks about how they, oh yeah, you know, we didn't want to do music videos because music videos were stupid and selling out. But then, but we also did music videos, you know, like he was very contradictory. And this to me was so funny. It was all, this was all, this is almost like the Ali G skit. If you ever watched the Ali G show where he's playing Bruno and he goes to a fashion, um, he goes to like a, a fashion show and he's interviewing one of the designers and he's just getting the designer to contradict himself like nonstop. He'd just be like, Oh, you know, this collection is so hard and heavy. It's insane. This collection is so brutal. And he'd be like, yeah, you know, I wanted to be so hard. And then, and then he'd be like, and it's also the softest thing I'd ever seen in the designer. Like, yeah, it is really this, this quote is so funny to me. So this is, this article is from Chronicles of Chaos uh, where they interviewed Monkey and Jonathan Davis in 1996, just after the release of Life is Peachy. And so this is uh, the interviewer asks, the press has been almost positive of Corn since the beginning. It has been a gradual climb to success for the band and fans just seem to love you. You have developed quite a cult-like following in the last year or so too. How do you think the exposure of Corn has been? Jonathan Davis, we don't want to be overexposed because if that happens, kids get sick of you. We've always been some kind of an underground or cult band. And if you start getting too much press, like plastered all over magazine and sorts, then you lose your credibility and we don't want that. So are you doing a lot of press this time? Yeah, we're doing tons, but press is fun. <laughs> it's like, yeah, how yeah, you, I like that. What one. are you, what are you talking about? And then he tries to clarify. He's like, yeah, press is fun. Kids love to read about the bands. Let them do that. When I talk about overexposure, I talk about MTV in the States playing the video all the time and making people sick of us. It's like, you can't. The press and MTV are not the same thing, Jonathan. It's like he almost realized in the moment, like, oh, I just directly contradicted myself in like two sentences. <laughs> that just made here's, me laugh and is so indicative of Jonathan Davis's mindset at this time. Here's a funny one that this is for the parents out there. I got to say, uh, because this killed me as a parent. How has bringing up your son, Nathan, affected things? Has it made you reevaluate your own childhood? Fuck yeah. Growing up, I had all these aggressions because my father and my mother were doing all this shit. 
But now I have a kid and I'm in their shoes. I kind of fucking know why shit happens. I can understand now. No one knows what it feels like to be a parent until you have a kid of your own. And so he goes, uh, do you find that you have to stop yourself from going down the same roads as your father? I'm going down the same road my dad did. It's killing me because I'm doing what my dad did to me and that I'm always on the road. But I tell myself that I'm making his life better in the future. He'll be pissed off with me, probably getting a band and write songs about me. And that would make me the happiest man in the world. Now, let me say something about this is a boomer attitude. And Jonathan Davis is a boomer. Uh, and he was also where, like fairly old at the time, right? Like I think I know, when Life like is Peachy came out, he was 29. like twenty seven or yeah, exactly. He wasn't super young. Like David, I think, was like twenty two or whatever at Life is Peachy time. But JD was, yeah, late twenties. It's so funny to me because like my philosophy was that like, you know, I have the same kind of I, I I didn't have as bad of a childhood as Jonathan Davis. You know what I mean? Like I didn't get abused or anything like that, but like I did have a lot of stuff I hated about my parents. And when I had a kid personally, I tried not to do that stuff. I decided not to do <laughs> things that way. I didn't decide like, fuck, now I know my, why my dad was a fucking asshole all the time. I guess that's what I got to do. Like, it just, it's so funny, man. Cause like, here's the thing. People, people in, in real life and even people that listen to the podcast and have heard Gwen on the show is like, uh, why wow, you're like a really good parent. What did you do? And I'm like, not a lot, man. It was fucking easy. <laughs> it was such the easiest thing in the world. It's like my parents wanted to control like every aspect of my life and stuff like that. And I just said, like, I just want her to do whatever she wants to do. I don't. I'm not going to get involved in the minutia and punishing and shit like that. It was like 10 times easier just to do it the way I did it than it is to do it that way. And it was so irritating to see a parent because I hate it. He was like a voice of like disenfranchised fucking teens. And then he like does an interview and he's like, seriously though, man, I know what it's like to be a parent and you got you teens are a pain in the ass. <laughs> Very totally. odd sentiment to have, but he is an older guy. Yeah, he's an older guy. Yeah, that was from uh, the the Metal Hammer uh, interview that we talked about before from 96. I loved this, too. This is another classic Jonathan Davis contradictory statement. In America, you can do anything you want. We're fucking living proof. We beat the system. We're out there making money and we're doing what we really believe in, states Jonathan Davis in between swigs from his second bottle of cheap peach wine, a potent fire water that has become his after show tipple of choice. But America's <sighs> so fucking uptight. Take Amsterdam, for example. That's a fucking free country right there. You can smoke pot, go down the red light district, buy a fucking whore, get smacked around and go to jail maybe overnight. Yeah, you can do that. That sounds really fun. I mean, it doesn't sound free if you're going to go to jail. Though. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He's like, uh, we live the best life in America. You can, In America, you can do anything you want. But also, yeah. you can't do anything you want in America. But in Amsterdam, you can. Like, it just. But you also can't. You can still go to jail. Then. Yeah, but then at the end of the night, you go to jail for doing the thing. <laughs> Dude, like, John, the 25th anniversary article had two very funny there are things great quotes very in this. short yeah this is from number loudwire one, from two, 2021 number one 
the first, like the third line in the article said, the only time Corn were mostly sober was when they were performing. And I'm like, oh, that's sweet that you thought they were sober when they were performing. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a time when they were fucking ripped. And I know that as like a touring act guy. Oh, it's yeah. like, it's like, no, I got a job where I can get high at work. Like, you can do that at work, and you know that's what they said. They were like, we fucking did it, man. We can get high and drunk at work. That's the job. People expect us to do it. They were not sober on stage. And the other one here, um, Jonathan Davis talking about his process, mm. and he says, uh, most of the lyrics come to me really spontaneously, Davis said. A lot of it was what I was dealing with, like in the song Adidas. I'm just singing about myself. I'm a horny motherfucker. <laughs> That slayed me. I'm a horny motherfucker. <laughs> I gotta get this song out of me, man. Jack off, I guess. I don't know. Uh, very funny. Very funny sentence, John. And also, oh. nobody didn't know what Adidas was. Like, Adidas is the most self-explanatory song on the album. Yeah. Uh, we got it, John. You're a fucking... You married a porn star. <laughs> we get it, buddy. We're we're right there. Your mic stand is a naked lady. We We get it, dude. <laughs> Um, yeah, that that uh, 20 year retrospective is very funny because uh, we've talked about how corn were just like horrible guys to be around. You could tell on who then now that they were just awful to be around. And uh, th there's two quotes here in a row that are just like so classic corn of this era. We were drinking mass quantities of everything. And when we were really fucked up, you didn't want to be around us. Davis said, I'd bite people when I was drunk. I bit everyone in the band hard. I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't care. We were under a lot of pressure. So drinking and getting high seemed preferable to facing our responsibilities. Welch said there were a lot of nights when we'd be playing and someone would do too much of something. And suddenly they were passed out and couldn't play. And a lot of times that guy was me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's that's a B sentence to say. I that really is... enjoyed I really enjoyed um the rock and roll experience article when uh oh, the yeah, guy's that's a classic. Like, hey, do you hate Mr. Rogers? He's like, Yeah, I hate Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Which if you said that now, you're canceled. Mr. Rogers is love such him. a funny thing. Yeah, I'm so glad you picked out this quote because we didn't really talk about Mr. Rogers, but that song is so insane. It's a great yeah. song. Like musically, it. it's an awesome song. The lyrics, though, like, yeah, like you said, Mr. Rogers obviously now. I mean, Tom Hanks played him in a fucking biopic, for God's sake. You can't get any more beloved than that. But yes, this quote is so so funny to make this leap is unbelievable. Go ahead. Yeah, it was so funny. And he goes, that song is about child TV, any children's television programs. They're really kind of screwed up. Also, I want to say this, uh, Mr. Rogers, song number seven on the album, uh, song number seven on uh, the first album is Shoots and Ladders, which is also a song about how things for children are actually a little <laughs> bit creepy. Yep. <laughs> throw that out there <laughs> they're really kind of screwed up Didn't and i just picked on this <laughs> i know <laughs> i'm telling you the album's laid out almost yeah, exactly the same man. so weird they are really kind of screwed up and i just picked on mr rogers there's some sick stuff on there like you've got mr mcfeely which and some really sick shit but i got a whole bunch of videotapes of mr rogers and some of the shit they say and stuff is pretty fucking sick and like <laughs> just the line where he's like like man you got mr mcfeely 
what's up with that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't feel people. It's, that's just his name. Yeah. Ring ring around the rosy. What's the what's the deal with that? He it's is very, he's like Jerry yeah. Seinfeld. He could have <laughs> yes. been Jerry Seinfeld if he didn't do corn. He he could yes. be a touring comic. What's the deal with all these kid shows and nursery rhymes have you Some ever noticed stuff we show kids is fucking twisted you just gotta up. pay attention it's twisted baby it's twisted um yeah it that that is really funny and i'm trying to find the quote maybe it wasn't in one of these articles but there's a there's a, a part where he talks about how basically his philosophy behind writing mr rogers was that the Essentially, he said, like, you know, Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, Davis, Mr. Rogers is about Fred Rogers. Davis said, as a kid, he told me to be polite. And all it did was get me picked on. I fucking hate that man. Thanks for making me polite and trusting everyone and easy to take advantage of. It's like, how do you like that's a big fucking leap to go yeah. from Mr. Rogers told me to be polite. And then I got the shit kicked out of me. It's like, that's not Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers fault. Yeah. Really. It's not Mr. Rogers fault. Like it just, yeah, it is very much a like children's TV, man. You, you just can't trust that dude. It's kind of sick and twisted. If you watch it and you're a pervert, like it yeah. comes really weird, you know? Super weird. And then there's this one too, which I love because Jonathan Davis, one thing we've realized over the years, especially in these earlier years, is that he loves to, loves to um, still give you little snippets of like, I'm a crazed madman. I'm I'm the lead singer of a metal band and I am screwed up, dude. Because uh, this is back from the the louder sound feature or the, sorry, the metal hammer review and the question uh, the interviewer asks, how emotionally or mentally stable are you right at this moment in time? I went to a psychologist who said I wasn't ready for the asylum, but I do have problems. I've got a way to deal with them and I have an outlet. Everybody does something, be it killing people, be it writing poetry, be it doing art, whatever. I like that killing people came first. That's what like mo most people yeah. kill people. That's their outlet, but other people do art or whatever. Um, everybody needs an outlet. If someone has no outlet, they're going to crack. So it's corn or mass murder. I delve down and fucking cut up dead bodies. What would be the difference if they were alive? A long jail sentence? That's the only fucking thing. And that goes down to what society says is wrong. Lions kill <laughs> deers to be able to eat. We're all fucking animals when it comes down to it. The only difference between us and animals is that we can communicate. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Yeah, man. I cut up bodies. I'm fucking nuts. I'm, I'm fucking nuts, crazy, dude. Man. I used to be a mortician's assistant, dude. You, I fucking cut up bodies. What if they were alive? Who cares? And honestly, society's the only one who says killing is wrong, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, that was stupid. Oh, holy macaroni. <laughs> He's such a dumb motherfucker. He just lo um, he loves to just throw. I love when he just throws those little snippets out there just being like, I'm I'm fucked up. You just got to remember I'm fucked. I'm fucking nuts, man. I worked at a funeral home. You know what I'm saying? It's fucking crazy. <laughs> That's the craziest thing, you know? Um, yeah. What a fucking moron that guy is. <laughs> Just really is one of the dumb guys of the world. Like, it's good that he got to be in a famous band because I don't, I don't know what he would have done in like 
Probably like, continued no being a mortician. <laughs> I doubt it. He'd have got fired for making like an inappropriate joke. Like Jonathan Davis is fucking lucky they didn't put mics in his face, you know, back then because he would. De- well, I mean, he probably does have a lot of things he said, but he is just he's the most cancelable guy I can think of. <laughs> yeah, they would have come into the morgue and he was like fake, like humping one of the bodies or yeah. something, you know, something like that. It's like, God. Wild times. All right. Well, uh, there it is. Corn life is peachy. Uh, we did it. One of Brian's favorite albums. And Brian, you promised me today this was going to get a crazy score. For those of you, if this is your first episode, we always wrap up every episode with a tweet defense. Um, so that is uh, basically our version of a review score. Essentially, if someone tweeted at you that life is peachy sucked, how many tweets would you do in reply to defend the album? Uh, Brian, what is your life is peachy score? All right. I've given it a lot of thought and I've decided that my score for life is peachy is infinity. Infinity. So, yes. Infinity. So you would never I had stop to make it the highest album. It. I, yeah. I had to make it the highest album. I didn't remember what the second highest <laughs> album was. So this album gets an infinity. I would never stop. I would tweet till Oof. I'm dead. Oof. Yeah. Can't wow. get much higher than that. But I one mean, day no. I will have to do Infinity Plus One. Yeah, because because you, you already said you like issues better than this. So if we have to recover <laughs> issues, you'll have to. But find I'll a forget way. and give issues like a nine. <laughs> well, that's a good score. Oh, that's that's a good score. Yeah, it's a really good score. Yeah. Um, okay, life is peachy, man. This is a big one. This is a big one for me too. Um, I feel like I would go eleven. I think I'd probably Fuck, go that uh, is so big. We're both, I'd go, uh, I mean, I'd probably infinity, go 11 tweets deep on, on life is peachy. It's, I mean, it's, it really is infinity. Yeah. It's one of the best records of, uh, of the genre. I mean, there's just no way around it. Great songs. Like we said, some of corn's best songs ever, even if you don't love the record as a whole, undeniable classic songs on this record. And, um, Yeah, it was. And it's also a little bit of a relic, right? Like it's kind of, I guess, $3 bill y'all is sort of the last record that kind of sounds like these records and around the fur, maybe a little bit too. But this is sort of a bit of a relic of a lost era, obviously into the late 90s, the new metal gets a lot more glossy, a lot more shiny. Um, So yeah, it it still has that original new metal feel. And uh, yeah, I love it. Nice. Oh, I can't wait till we oh well yeah infinity and an 11 we did it john we that did it baby good. that's a big one yeah that is a big one speaking of doing it uh if you want to support the show you can do so at patreon.com slash the pod cast that's cast with a k like the band corn uh every month we do three reviews on there we do one full length review we review a full length album and then we do two uh singles reviews And sure enough, those reviews are called Y'all Want a Single. So we're up to 45. We just did number 45 of those tonight. Uh, We've done almost 35 of the regular full-length episodes. So if you love the POD cast and you're like, I wish this was more than once a month, you've got like 80 episodes waiting for you at our Patreon. It's only $4 a month. You get all three episodes. Last month, the full-length bonus we did was uh, we reviewed Edgewater's South of Sideways with producer Dan. He got behind the mic for the first time and, uh, and it was a fun one. So be sure to check that out. We've got a really 
interesting and fun bonus episode coming this month. I won't spoil what it's about, but uh, I think you're going to like it. It's also about one of new metals, heavy hitters, and we got a great guest going to be with us this month as well too. So yeah, we've also got a discord, lots of people in there chatting new metal all the time. It's super fun. So yeah, check it out. Patreon.com slash the POD cast. Okay, Brian, uh, we are now here at the challenge and uh, again, if this is your first time listening to the show, the challenge every month is Brian and I give ourselves uh, a task, a fun thing to do based on this album. And Brian, uh, this is the first time this has ever happened before. So we have tied before. We have had a challenge before where there was a tie, but we didn't even do a poll for that for people to vote on. It was just we both did so well that like multiple people tweeted at us and they were just like, it's just got to be a tie. You guys both crushed it. Just let it be a tie. So we didn't even do a poll. We just let it be a tie. But last month's challenge, which was to sing part of Mushroom Head's bio as Dryden Mitchell from Alien Ant Farm, we did a poll. 86 votes legitimately ended in a tie. We got 43 votes each, 50% to 50%. The first time in POD cast history, we got a true poll tie so that means that still the overall records are standing at a tie i have 17 wins you have 17 wins we have two ties so this will be uh, an opportunity to start off our fourth year of this podcast to take the lead you are the one who came up with the idea for this challenge so i'll let you introduce it Uh, okay so wicked was a cover of a song that i really like and they brought in Chino to sing, which seemed like the right guy. And then Jonathan Davis plays bagpipes. And it's sort of just like it's a super song in a way. And 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 that was something we didn't get often. Like these guys weren't collaborating at that time. So it was a very exciting song to hear. So I thought we would make up our own cover and our own band of of musicians and uh they'll do the cover so i'll do mine first mm-hmm. um so i want it to be paradise by the dashboard light by meatloaf oh okay and i want fear factory on bass guitar drums and synth so i want the band to be fear to be fear factory okay so it's incredibly heavy right fear factory uh, minus dino no no dino no burton but the rest of no Burton. There's still Dino, right? Like Dino's so guitar, though. You said bass, synth, and drums. Dino's I mean guitar. All of it. I meant okay. guitar right. too. I, okay. I mean the band. The band, the band will be Fear, Fear Factory, Factory because okay. I wanted some a, a heavy fucking band, you know? Because okay. I want this to be heavy. And okay. Jonathan Davis will sing the Meatloaf lines. Yeah. And Chino Moreno will sing sing the uh, Ellen Foley lines. The woman who sings it. So. That would be the cover I want, and uh, I think that would rip, man. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I think Meatloaf, Meatloaf was the 80s version of New Metal, so <laughs> um, I yeah, great inspired choice. Um, I'm going to the 80s as well. We know a lot of these bands uh, cut their teeth covering 80s songs, and um, I think there's a lot of meat on the bone for I Ran by Flock of Seagulls. Um, I feel like no new metal band covered that. There's a lot you could do with it. There's a lot of fun riffs. There's a big buildy part. I'm actually, I'm Frankensteining the whole thing. Okay. So are you ready for this? Nice. On, dr- on drums, I've got Abe Cunningham from the Deftones. 
on bass guitar, I've got a resurrected Chi Chang from the Deftones. On guitar, I've got Wes Borland from Limp Bizkit. Singing, I Ran by Flock of Seagulls. I have, well, I've got two singers, much like you. I've got Chino Moreno, and I gotta have him in the band. I got David Draymond. I gotta have, oh, I gotta have, yeah. I gotta have Chino. I gotta have Chino. I gotta have David. I don't know what he's gonna do, but I cannot wait for him to just be like, I ran, I ran so far away. Like I just, I need him to do something stupid in the song. Um, so yeah, that's my. That's my cover band, my dream band, and uh, they're covering Flock of Seagulls, and it's a beautiful thing. So anyway, if you want to vote... Actually, David Draymond would actually get mad at that song because he doesn't like Iran. <laughs> Very Big good. Zionist, that guy. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was really good. Yeah, he would rename the song Is Real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He'd be furious. <laughs> yeah. I will not say Iran. Yeah. Uh, okay. So if you want to vote on next month's challenge winner, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash the POD underscore cast. Again, that's cast with a K like the band corn. And what you can do while you're following us on Twitter is you can also vote in the poll. We do this every month as well. Brian and I nominate two albums each, and then you, the listener get to decide what we listen to for next month's episode that only happens on Twitter. So make sure you're following us over there. Brian, what are you nominating for episode 38? So, uh, First off, I I, I want to say this about the challenge too. I did want to Frankenstein a band, but I don't know enough about instruments, right? So it was just kind of like I want the heaviest new metal band. I love it. it to play the music. You know yeah, what I you're mean? Good. You're good. I know what you mean. Um, so I'm gonna try to get a little bit of new blood. I think some some yep. albums that I have uh put in the poll before that I think would be very fun to review. And uh I think uh, I think these are going to be if one of these wins, it'll be a very fun episode. Uh, the first album I'm going to put up is the self-titled Soulfly album. Uh-huh. One Soulfly. Yeah. The second one I'm going to put up is Saliva every six seconds, which yep. I've put up before. It's an album I haven't really listened to Me in neither. my life. Yeah. And uh I mean, just an iconic song on that. Just of an course. iconic click, single. click, boom. One of the Can't. most iconic singles. No ever, question. You know, no question. I'd and you know, Josie Scott said some stupid shit. You just know oh, that guy. You, you know that guy said some dumbass shit. I would love to dig into that for sure. You know, there's going to be some fucking bangers on the album that we don't know. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. I think it has a drowning it, pool vibe to me. Like the drowning pool album, I hadn't really listened to outside of bodies, and then the whole album kicked ass. And I feel like saliva yeah. might be like that too. It could go two ways. It could go that way, but it could also be like, hey, you know, I like all of Puddle of Mud singles. And then you listen to the album, and you're like, oh, motherfucker, yeah. this yeah. sucks. sucks. So, bad. you know, Saliva has a chance of going both ways. There. I will say, too, Saliva is a band that gets requested a lot by by listeners. So, yeah, um, it's been close to winning before. Maybe this is the month. I am going to put up an album that I've never put in the poll before. 
And uh, I talked about on a past episode, I talked about the compilation hard uh, that I had, which was like a Canadian, like sort of metal compilation, weird compilation. Um, And there was a song on there from a band that's maybe more of a metal band, but their fourth record, they pivoted to new metal. The single is great. That was on the hard record. And a lot of people have said how good this album is. And it's the first time it's ever in the poll. I'm nominating Machine Head, The Burning Red. Uh, so that's my first nomination. And then, and then another one that we have had in the poll before that has been close to winning. And I feel like we haven't gotten soft on this show in quite a long time. And sometimes it's nice to be a little bit of a soft boy on here. I'm going to put up Incubus, Make Yourself. Oh so, God, there isn't a bad choice. I mean, this is a good as poll. far as like saliva would be the worst like music because i do think that there is a high percentage chance of saliva being a puddle of mud yeah because i mean you've heard that goddamn spider-man song's awful oh i love that song oh god <laughs> and they say that a hero can save us oh brian i love that song but i'm canadian oh, chad krueger's in it i mean i gotta you know you gotta feel it out well and it's uh, funny because that's i think I think we're more likely to hear songs like that than we are click, click, booms. <laughs> true. I true. just think I'm almost positive this veers closer to butt rock than Limp Biscuit. It's just that that fucking one song. And, you know, he he just heard Fred Durst's voice and was like, that's that's where the money is. That, that's where like, the money is, they baby. Have hits because of this guy's voice and did it. Yeah, absolutely. So I've there never you go. seen somebody rip off a voice like that, John. Like I've never seen somebody just straight up take a guy's voice. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's got, have you ever heard somebody just be like, "No, I'm just gonna like sing exactly like this guy that made hits." Like, well, I mean, I feel I like most- Eddie Vedder. Yeah, Eddie Vedder is the big one. And then also like pop music, of course, that happens all the time. But yeah, Yeah. and certainly in this genre, not super common. So there you go. Next month, usually the poll comes out about halfway through the month. Uh, So you got Machine Head, Incubus, Saliva, and Soulfly. They will all be on there. And you can choose which one you want us to listen to. Again, that's on our Twitter, twitter.com slash the POD underscore cast. Cast with a K. You can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash the POD cast. Thanks for listening. Three years. It's been a pleasure. We can't wait to bring you yet another year of this bullshit. We love you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next month. Goodbye.